Fonte, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Good to have you on. Long overdue. Yeah, I know. We've been trying to put this together ever since. You were like one of my first people that I wanted to have on here. And by the way, I've told everybody that you're one of my first people that I wanted to have on here. <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. Special. Yeah, but um, it's funny because I know um, it's interesting kind of navigating through this whole podcast thing because there are different levels of how well you know people and I've known you longer than any of the other guys that I've interviewed on this thing. So I've known, known you longer than Joe. In some ways I've known you longer than my wife. So ironically, we we go back, we go back a little ways. So we met, uh, back in, back at Kirtland college. Yeah. I want to say it was 2013, 2013, Mm, actually 2012. uh, No, I I didn't graduate high school until 2013. That's right. So it had to have been 2013 then. Yep. Either that or it was uh, potential. Yeah. Cause we had a, it would have been fall. So yeah, that's right. 2013, 2014. That's right. I was on my third stint at community college. (laughs) Uh, I had gone to Kirtland and I left and then I went to LCC and I left and then it was like my last hurrah, if you will, at Kirtland. And that's when I bumped into you. And I feel like, and I don't know, what was my perspective of you is like you were an incredibly sharp kid coming out of high school and you knew exactly what you wanted to do. That's, might, that was might, my impression of you. How was so I wrong? <laughs> the thing is, is I think that we had Western civilizations together uh, with the interesting professor, but we didn't really talk to each other that class. It was until biology. That's right. And then when you met me, that's when I knew yeah. what I was going to do. Yep. But prior to that, I went into college kind of unsure. Okay. What made you sure? Well, I'd always wanted to be a police officer for my whole life, ever since I was like five years old. But as I went through high school, uh, that actually changed uh, because I was kind of a wild child. So uh, <laughs> I was an athlete and a decent student, but I like to have fun. Yeah, so, uh, for sure. And, you know, during that, you kind of you kind of resent law enforcement because uh, <laughs> they could get you in trouble. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, once I sat down with my advisor, though, I she started talking about criminal justice classes as she kind of was like, I think this might be something you may be interested to yeah. uh, interested in when she heard me talk. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I've always wanted to do that. Let's let's try it. So I started taking some classes. And that's when I knew. Yeah. Didn't have to buy the book. The uh, <laughs> The professor was like 65 30 plus years retired police officer and it was a fun class because you'd sit there and tell stories yeah and for sure. uh, didn't have nice. to buy the book so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, when you when you ran into me back then i had no idea what i wanted to do with my life i was i was at community college because that's kind of what my parents said i had to do to become successful and you know i you know it, it was one of those things where had i gone down that path i probably would have been but right it just the school was hard for me man yeah, i school I, was not my thing oh god like part of me is just like how like, sometimes like I, I i think back to and this is a gross over exaggeration don't so don't don't take this too literally 
but I I have like Vietnam flashbacks about go, like what it's like to have to go to school <laughs> and just and um who is it um oh Claire my daughter and she was like getting ready for school and like I'm dropping her off and I'm I'm in her elementary school and I'm like this this is hell this I I remember these days this is oh. not good get me out of here and then I'm like oh I'm an adult I can leave it's okay <laughs> yeah exactly you don't have to stay oh man so. How did what was that program like at KCC? Um, it was a pretty darn good uh, program. Uh, they had a lot of great professors that had a lot of experience in the field. So the classes, one uh, what I when you asked me how did I know like when was it? It was when I sat down in the first class. I think it might have been uh, like criminology or something like that, and I had goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is this is actually pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. And it never have I felt that way except for like maybe fourth grade math. <laughs> okay. I actually liked math until I got to, you know, eighth, ninth grade. When they grade. started throwing letters in yeah, that shit, algebra, it was like, like I'm done. Yeah. Like, no I, thanks. I can't, I can't handle this. Right. So, uh, no, it was great. Uh, awesome professors. I had a blast. Uh, we had a lot of fun classes. And uh, the we had an internship, too, and I chose to do it with the state police. Oh, cool. Nice. And so uh, that that was a lot of fun. What was that like? So we had to do... Wait, hold on. Was was that state police internship? Was that up in northern Michigan still? Yeah, up okay. in West Branch. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in the county that I was from is Iosco County. Yep. So if you see if you see an Iosco County deputy uh, on the street, you might, you might as well pull your phone out and, you know, note the date and time because you won't see it again. <laughs> it's literally like state police. And if you're in West Branch, they have their own city officers and sure. then different counties over there. But uh, yeah, MSP was like the only law enforcement uh, in sure. the county. Well, the... To and I'm gonna defend something I don't even know, but I'd imagine because there there's a small number of police officers in a large county, and there's just lots of land up there to cover, or are they just lazy donut mm, munchers? I think it was a budget around? issue, honestly. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Just uh, low income, not a lot of work, and sure. unless you know you owned business up there, really. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. small towns. Okay, so what did you do as a police intern? Uh, so it was like the easiest thing ever because I didn't have to do any paperwork. Uh, now, we had to log things. That was part of the internship. But, uh, you know, you can kind of put whatever on there. It sure. wasn't too detailed. But uh, so you would uh, meet the trooper at the post. They would set you up with a bulletproof vest. And uh, <clears throat> I was specifically with uh, one officer uh, most of the time. His name was Shane Noble. And uh, great guy. Uh, maybe mid thirties and his dad was actually a judge up in the area. And, uh, so basically I just ride with them all night, uh, for however long I wanted to, I'd get with them and, uh, we'd just coordinate a day that would work. And <clears throat> I just had to have, uh, like 110 hours or something like that okay. logged. That's not bad so at all. I would just like go around my schedule and we'd work together. And so what was that? So that training process. So when you go and you declare a, I don't know, cr- criminal justice major at uh, KCC, does that kind of shoehorn you into a police force of some sort or are there different avenues you can go with that or right. what does so that look like? That actually is a regional police academy. So basically what that means is you're not tied to any specific uh, agency. You're just there to get uh, an associates and then to get licensed as a police officer in the state of Michigan through MCOLS, which is Michigan Commission of Law Enforcement Standards. Okay. So it's just a general academy. You go through it 17 weeks long. Um, and then at the end of that, you take a test, a uh, physical test, written test. And uh, 
you either, you know, pass or fail. Okay. And so then you get licensed with that. You can take it to different states and there's a few states, I think it was like seven or so, don't quote me on that, but uh, that you could basically transition into a law enforcement position fairly easy, maybe like a two week course, mm-hmm. um, but you could be getting hired, picked up anywhere in Michigan. Yeah. But like Florida was one of them that you could go and work uh, and you wouldn't have to go through a whole academy again. Okay. But then I think in like California for say, you'd have to go through a whole new academy again. All Interesting. Over. Okay. So when, after you do your two years or however long it takes you to go through the program at Kirtland, you still had to go to an academy. Right. It's sort. actually tied in with the criminal justice degree at the time. Okay. I don't know what it's like there now, but going through, it was 2015. So that fulfilled my, uh, you, you had to have either an associates to get into it or part of the program. So I actually had an associates in arts and I could have went in six months before, but I wanted to actually get my criminal justice associates. Yep. So I waited and delayed it for six months, finished out the semester so that I could go actually uh, get the criminal justice degree along with the academy that fulfilled that at the end when you graduate. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So when you finish that program, do you get, um, is there any sort of guidance into a specific uh, police force? Are there, is like an Indeed site where there's just open positions filled yeah, I mean, or how does that whole we, process we work? We would spend, uh, during the academy, before we were, we were even uh, qualified to be police officers and licensed, we were always looking to see who was hiring. And so a lot of the guys were shooting out applications all over the state. They were putting out five, 10 apps everywhere and I wasn't doing any. So I'm like, man, am I doing something wrong? Should I be applying for the places or not? And uh, this is before they were even licensed. So uh, you could jump on MCOLs, you know, Google and MCOLs and they, there's a list on there of agencies that are hiring. Okay. So you just click on it, see what the qualifications are, app, uh, you know, apply. What's that interview process like? Is it like a normal job for or a, for a police position? Yeah. I mean, it's different in every agency, I suppose, but okay. I only actually applied for two places, uh, Grand Rapids police and then East Lansing. East okay. Lansing was only hiring one person. And at the time they only had like 57 officers. Wow. And I knew that's surprising to me. It was. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and it's funny cause their police departments like on the same block as like all a bunch of frat houses. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure MSU has campus like police officers too. I don't know if yeah. that falls outside of their jurisdiction or however I mean, that they probably don't have drawn, to mess with but, it too much because they're yeah. i assume they do probably have a campus site uh police but yeah. uh, they, they were just handling the city of east lansing okay so i applied but i actually didn't want to work there and it showed in the interview <laughs> yeah. because okay. i wasn't prepared yeah i was utilizing that to get some experience get some of those you know uh nerves out hear those questions yeah and, kind and of... i got hammered it was bad <laughs> yeah and then afterwards you know i think i might have been tougher on myself because after the guy pulled me aside and He's like, hey, man, you're a sharp young man. Uh, and I was like, I did horrible. And he's like, no, you didn't do it. You did not do that bad. You, you, did, you did just fine. Yeah. I just didn't know the history of their agency. You know, they asked me questions. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know your chief's name. Oh, <laughs> Stuff okay. Like that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Whereas Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. I wanted that position. Yeah. They actually sort of, I think, kind of to tie into that question you asked of how do you, like, what does it look like to apply for a job coming through the academy? I shot an application out to Grand Rapids because... They actually drove three hours up uh, to do a, like a sales pitch. Like, hey, we're hiring. And the guy that showed up uh, was jacked. He was oh, huge. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. yoked. Oh, yeah. I saw this guy and I'm like, man. They got at, a weight room look there. At, look Let's at, go. Man, look at this guy. And I had this <laughs> I had this vision that like every guy looked like that. And it's not necessarily not wrong. Not the truth. Nope. Well, no, I mean, it's it's it kind of is the truth in a way in Grand Rapids. Okay. Like, I mean, not that every cop's fit, but sure. uh, there's a lot of guys that are getting after it. Okay. You know. That's they're fair. putting in the work, but not every single one of them, obviously. Yeah. You know? But uh, 
Yeah, they came up, and I actually had to Google Grand Rapids. Didn't know where it was. Really? <laughs> nope. Yeah, I was from small town Hale, motherfucker. Hale, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, Hale, Michigan, man. Uh, and uh, graduated with 33 people. Okay. I was fourth in my class. boy. With a 3.4. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Or like number nine and 10, I think, had like you a 2.7 two, like or something. Dang. Yeah. So Good I'm like, yeah, you, I graduated man. fourth in my class. Like, dude, that's wonderful. I'm like, yeah, I had a 3.4. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, small class. Uh so I, I didn't even know where Grand Rapids was located on the okay. map. I knew it was like somewhere far away. Yeah. And, uh, in a land far, yeah, far man. away. It was crazy. <laughs> so I, I looked it up and I was like, man, that's pretty far away. Yeah. I want to go. All right. It's yeah. a cool place, isn't it? Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not as big as I thought it was. No. No. It's no. growing. Yeah. Well, you, you coming from Hale or Gaylord oh, though, geez. it's, it's a metropolis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember like I moved from Gaylord to, a little duplex right at the corner of Lane Avenue and Bridge Street. Okay. Rough little neighborhood over there some t- in some yeah, parts. It's pockety. Yeah, it's pockety. We <laughs> lived on Lane, too, which was... it, and, and, you know, it was just... Nothing happened, and we didn't... We just felt so uncomfortable, mo- li- like, coming from living in... Gaylord, you're in the country. Pretty tight quarters over there on Lane and Bridge. Yeah. Houses are right on top of each other. Right on top of each other. So that's inner city living. Yeah. So we went from the sticks to the inner city. The great part about living over there is you just walk right down to the bar and stumble home. That is true. (laughs) However, we did not feel safe going out at night because we we were just, we didn't didn't really know. Yeah, exactly. That was the the best way to describe it. It is intimidating going from two it's different big, places it's a big jump. yeah it's a huge jump it's a it's a big growing experience i was extremely excited about it so when you when did you move to grand rapids it would have been uh at the end of november back in 2015 2015 yeah. okay so you got here I, a year after i did i graduated the academy november 6th okay and uh thankfully i passed the test so i got certified what's and, the percentage of people that flunk that test uh, do you think honestly it's i think it's i think it's pretty low um, because I, they prepare you. I mean, if you, if you fail, it's your fault. I mean, that's fair. They, that you're, you're prepared for that. They, they're, that's what, that's what you're doing for 17 weeks. You're studying every day. So it's really just like anything. If you're not prepared, you're not going to pass it. No, I mean, I'm a horrible test taker. Yeah. So you get all nerved up and then you forget everything. Yeah. For everything sure. just goes gone. You know? Yeah. So, you know, every class, let's say there's 20 people, every academy, which that's just a generic number. But, uh, say there's 20 people out of every academy that's taking this test at the end. You might have one or two or three people fa- uh, fail. Okay. The rest are passing. Gotcha. Well, that's good. You always have one. So one thing I always hear is that school doesn't, pre- like, what you do in high school and college does not prepare you whatsoever for the real world. Um, even, like, you'll have some doctors and uh, say that, you know, they go through their, their meds, they get out of med school, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they set foot in a hospital, and it's it's like a completely different world. How do you think your training prepared you or did not prepare you for actually being a street cop yeah it's a good question uh i think they i think they did a pretty great job they at the kirtland community uh college there at the regional academy they had some pretty good instructors that had a lot of experience being police officers so they they were really hands-on we did a lot of like uh scenario stuff which scenario stuff's hard to do because it's hard to like put yourself you know you're role playing it's so hard to replicate that really stuff is. and keep it serious yeah so but yeah. they did a good job these guys had fun they yeah. were like, acting crazy you know yeah. i would say they're pretty good you know they prepared us the best they could and going through the the educational part of it the classroom work which was like most of it 
It was grueling. Mm -hmm. And that was the stuff that I hated. But it, you know, it was fun because you're actually learning stuff that's interesting that you know you need to know. Yeah. You need to know the laws if you're going to enforce them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. They prepared you, but it's a foundation, right? It's like the basement to a mansion. Yeah. I think that one thing that you can, you know, with anything, you just, you just kind of learn, learn as you go. You learn that every single cop that you ever talk to, if they don't tell you that they're not learning something new every day, then they've failed. Like they've, they're complacent because things change. The way you can say something to someone can always be different, right? Just the way you can communicate, the way you can handle a situation. Every single thing that you see in the news or all these crazy things going on, there is a million different ways they could have said something or handled it. There's yeah. always a different way because there's a different person, different background, different childhood, you know? Um, so to answer that, really, I mean, it's they did they did the best they could. But at the end of the day, you just got to do the job and learn as you go. Because i uh, give you some background on that. I went through two years of college, 17 weeks academy, and then I got hired in to Grand Rapids Police. And for the first eight weeks, you're in-house training, like their city ordinances, the way they handle different things. They have their own way of doing things. And uh, you get out there and you're going through another 17 weeks of field training with multiple different officers that have uh, been doing the job longer than I've been alive. Yeah. The guy I rode with was a cop for 25 years and I was 20. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, hey man, like yeah. you've been doing this for uh, five more, 25 years and five years longer than I've been shitting my pants. Come on, <laughs> give me a break, dude. So uh, I'm like, dang, uh, you just learn as you go. And uh, I remember like the first few calls I went on, I felt like I didn't know a thing. Yeah. It was like gone. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, how do I, how do I do this? <laughs> so just, what, when you have a guy that's been on the force for 25 years, are they, from what you've seen, I mean, you, you, you see a microcosm of the American police force in one specific municipality, but do you feel like, um, most of the cops that you've interacted with are actively seeking to upgrade, upgrade their training, whether it be mentally learning how to communicate uh, different, better with different people in different situations, the, like the situational training that you went through in the police force, what kind of repetition do those guys get, you know, five, 10, 15 years into a police career? Or is, is there a program like that? I mean, there's, there's, okay, there's state uh, requirements for training per year. It's pretty low, uh, but they're, I mean, those guys are constantly uh, doing training as far as uh, there's, you know, they're getting into the training unit and uh, every every couple times a year, they're, you know, training different things within the training unit. Uh, as far as like communication and stuff like that, different skills, uh, it's hard to say really. I mean, they're out there working the job every day and 95% of the time, 98% of the time, probably they're going, you know, it's, it's just the same old thing. They're, they're not actually having something crazy happen out of that couple of percentages. Uh, all shit hits the fan and you go back on your training. So yeah. how many times a year are you training those crazy, you know, the scenarios? Cause when they train, they're like, it's like the guy's pulling a gun and shooting at you yeah. type situation. Yeah. But 99% of the time that's not happening. We're right. just talking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, right now, the time that we're living in, that's kind of different. Uh, yeah. Things are things are kind of things wild right now, very violent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the guys here in Grand Rapids are responding to some pretty, pretty serious stuff night yeah. in and night out. You yep. know, so they're getting uh, they're training uh, live, hands on, real life stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's why it's funny the whole defund the police thing. It's uh, they need more funding to get more time to get away from their date, the actual job. And get into that actual training to have the, the budget there so they can get more 
qualified, like more required training because it's all about budget. You know, those officers are getting, when they're coming in on their days off the train, that they're getting compensated for that. Uh-huh. What would the ramifications be of, of a large-scale uh, police defunding across the state? Well, uh, there would be a lot of people that aren't getting help that want help, okay? I don't care if you don't like the police and you're one of the people that want to defund the police. There's gonna There might be a time that you might need someone to come and uh, your friends might not show up when you call them. So you better have someone that you can call that can show up to handle the situation because every once in a while you're going to get put in a situation where you need help. And, and firsthand, I can, I can uh, say that I've been there in a motorcycle accident. Yep. I relied on people to show up to save me. Absolutely. You know? And we'll get to that in a yeah. second, but keep going down this road. So, I mean, I just think it's ridiculous. Uh, I listen to a lot of different types of people talking about the, uh, about that. And, you know, I, I, I get both sides of it. I try to see all sides of everything, whether or not I have an opinion on it. Of course, we all have opinions. So my opinion is uh, I think that's stupid and ridiculous. But I also see where their thought process is and the the actual educated people that are saying, hey, defund the police. What they mean is, is take that funding away and put it into the communities that need the money so that our uh, – economically deprived communities can can thrive better because they're you know uh getting comp you know they're, they're the budget's there to help them rebuild and and make a living and you know get jobs and feed and clothe themselves have heat have electric running water stuff like that but you know i think that facts speak for themselves and if you were to the areas that lack police for uh policing uh they're the the, the violence goes up Absolutely. And from what I heard somebody very smart break this down, how to solve some of the, you could call it generational inequities in some poor neighborhoods and how to correct some of those things. One of the things that I've heard, and it's an unpopular opinion today, but in those neighborhoods that are incredibly downtrodden, you need to ramp up policing in those neighborhoods. You need to have more cops on the streets so crime goes down and businesses want to invest in those neighborhoods and create you know, where, where mom and pop shops are comfortable opening up. Maybe you get a chain restaurant that wants to open up in that neighborhood. Maybe you get a... Um, you know, local breweries like Grand Rapids, you throw a rock, you close your eyes, throw a rock and hit a brewery in Grand Rapids. I was talking to a friend of mine who had, he had moved to Lansing for 20 years. He was from Grand Rapids, moved to Lansing and he recently moved back and his buddy wanted to catch up and grab a bite to eat with them. So he sent him an address of a a little restaurant in, in East town. And the guy was freaking out going to this restaurant because it used to be like an old biker bar that you didn't go to unless you were in the biker gang. Mm -hmm. And turns out it's this little hipster coffee joint now in East Town. And and so you see, but I think that um, the local police force deserves a lot of credit for stabilizing some of those areas that might be economically depressed. And entrepreneurs and investors want to come into these neighborhoods and open businesses which creates jobs which raises home values which creates upward mobility so you you have but you have to like you said earlier with the foundation you have to build that from the ground up and you're not going to get that when crime is out of control in a neighborhood right Mm -hmm. yeah it's unfortunate but 
that's just that just seems to be a, a theme of of you know some of the bigger cities across the United States is you look at some of the the neighborhoods that are they don't have a lot of police force uh, actively working and it's the crime goes up because you know you're always going to have the one person that uh, wants to commit crimes and there's the opportunity right there and so it opens up the door for them absolutely and then it rises so speaking of crime what were um what was a difficult situation that you like what one of your most difficult situations that you dealt with um personally as a cop while you were on the street and you can omit certain details as needed but what what were some like um some intense situations that you may have found yourself in uh being a cop yeah so before I, you know, answer that, I got to understand, I only worked the street uh, for a limited period of time. So yep. it, it was only like maybe five months yep. total. So, and that was also like almost four or five years ago. Yeah. There's a few incidents uh, and it all revolves around pulling my gun out uh, from, you know, remembering those situations. Yeah. Uh, one, one instance was a trespassing complaint where this guy was homeless and uh, he was in a apartment building he didn't break in and you could walk right in it wasn't locked so he get in there he went in there and uh someone found him in there and they were uncomfortable and that he wasn't speaking in the english and he wasn't acting right he uh i believe he had some sort of mental illness and so we responded didn't find anybody so we cleared took the report talked to the people got a description well then the recall went back up got reopened and we went back out there so I went back and the lady said, hey, yeah, he's down here in the laundry room. So we go down in there and, you know, we walk in and we just got our flashlights out because it was dark. And I think we might have forgot to just flip the light switch on. Mm -hmm. But uh, so we're using our flashlights. We're looking around and, and me and my partner were clearing this laundry room. And we didn't find anything. And then all of a sudden I hear him like startled and like scream like a little girl. <laughs> and uh, I hear him start giving commands and the way he was giving it, it sounded like he may have drew down on the guy with his gun. So I popped my head out to the room cause I was like down this little, like uh, little hallway where there was a bunch of storage compartments. So I'm like kind of checking in those and I look out and you know, he's got his gun out and you know, he's been a cop for who knows how long, seven, eight years prior to me. And uh, I'm a rookie at the time, a couple months on the street. This was like one of my f first couple weeks on my own. So I'm solo by myself uh, in the cruiser. So I, I draw down on the guy and now let me paint the picture here. It's 85 degrees, summer day, it's hot. And this guy's in a winter jacket, pants, and we're giving him commands to put his hands up because we couldn't see his hands. And he was like in the room, in a room that was dark. So we couldn't really see him. So we're like, Hey, you know, get your hands up, get your hands up. And, uh, so he starts reaching towards the back of his waistband, and like oh. lifts his jacket up. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're, we're yelling at him to put his hands in the air. My partner decides to go hands free, and I stayed deadly force with the with the gun. What does that mean, hands free? Hands free. So he holstered up, put the gun away, went hands on with the guy, grabbed onto him, and I came in closer with deadly force just in case he did have a knife or a gun he was trying to grab. Yep. And that's kind of what we thought because he was reaching back behind his jacket. Yep. Uh, he went hands on. He grabbed him, and uh, we got him down. On the, he got him down on the ground. I holstered up. We put him in handcuffs, and we, we he didn't have any weapons on him. Okay. And so come to find out the only reason why he was reaching back is he didn't speak English. Uh -huh. So when he saw us, he just thought, oh, I'm just going to put my hands behind my back. But oh, he was facing us. So wow. we couldn't see where his hands were going. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so, uh, you know, that was a pretty intense situation because that yeah. was like the first time I'd ever like, I mean, I was like prepared to, to do what I needed to do if he was yeah. going to draw down. on If yeah. I, if I, I remember thinking like, man, 
that was crazy. I didn't even think like it was just all my training. And I remember thinking if I, if he pulls out what I perceive as a gun or a knife or something, and he was within arm's length. So he could have like jolted forward and stabbed you if yeah. he had a knife. And I was just, I was prepared to do what I needed to do to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, thank God I was trained well that I didn't just overreact and just pull the trigger just because he reached back. I yeah. was waiting until I was legitimately going to see a weapon. Let me that ask, was intense. Let me ask you a couple detailed questions about that. Yeah. That incident. So what, what time of day was that? Oh, it was like the middle of the day. Uh, it was like 4 PM. Okay. So when you were on your shift, is it like 6A to 6P kind of, or? It's always different. Yeah. But okay. It was pretty much like that. Yeah. So what was your, what was your mental state like before that? Did, like, were you having like a pretty good day? Did you feel pretty alert going into a situation right. like that? Right. Yeah. Uh, from what I, from what I remember how I felt, it was a, it was a good day. I wasn't stressed out. Uh, you know, well fed. I wasn't, you know, starving or anything yeah, like that. Sure. I, I, I was, uh, I felt pretty good. Just a normal ass yeah, day. Pretty I much. felt pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. alert and wasn't too tired from what I remember. Do you, do you go into a, like as a cop, do you go into a work day? Like, like I go and I work at a bank. I go into a work day. I'm going to count money today. I might sell a few credit cards. Like. You know, that's, those are the things that I think about. Like you go into the day thinking, do you think about like the worst case scenario stuff that could happen to you? Like while you're on the job? Right. Well, let me just say this currently, I haven't worked as a police officer for four years, Yes. but during that time when I was, I mean, you're, I go into the day just like anybody else. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, oh yeah. Like you just never know what you're going to get called to. So I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, uh, you know, thinking about lunch i'm thinking about yeah like normal stuff normal ass yeah. dude i'm like whatever i'm driving around and i'm you know trying to meet people and make good contacts and mm-hmm. you know yeah just make some business contacts stop at a gas station talk to people yeah. and be, at, you know just be friendly at what point does that switch flip though when you right. like when you get into a situation where there's this guy bothering you like if it how, hits the shan yeah, yeah as they say like you're going into a dark room i'm sure you start to like be on kind of like your alertness is up right. because you're in a dark room, but like how, at what point does that, that training immediately start to take over where you're processing in a training situation, as opposed to just looking for a guy that might be bothering some people. Right. Well, see, I, I was like so fresh out of all this training. Like I was like, I was on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember like, I'm like, all, oh, I'm like, wait, I was shocked that he walked to the back of the room without waiting for me. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. hey, hold on this open area. I'm going to clear this. We didn't communicate yeah. that, but he, you know, he's just like another day I'm walking in here, no big deal, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm like high alert. Like, oh man, we might find this guy in here. Like, so I'm as prepared. soon as you got on the call, you were, you were, yeah, I was, go. yeah. And, and you know, everybody's different. I'm sure mm-hmm. most people are, are on it, but at the time, you know, and I don't know what he was like, you know, obviously, but yeah. he was just walking through clearing it and stuff. And, uh, you know, and you got, I think these guys are responding to calls day in, day out for, for years. And so I, this was one of my newer calls and I was a rookie. So I'm like, mm-hmm high alert like thinking i'm gonna end up fighting with someone or something so uh but you know what was crazy was is how quickly i reacted to drawing my gun out and you know trying to think through like I, it was like it was like a well, what's the word i'm looking for i don't know it just it was like a second nature like yeah it yeah it was you didn't there was no thought to it it was just like your, sub, right your subconscious your took over subconscious training took over and then i i was just like giving this guy commands and then uh 
like I said, I was looking for what he was trying to do. He was not listening to our commands. We were clearly saying, hey, put your hands up in the air. Put them on your head. Put them on your head. And he's reaching, lifting his jacket up behind his body. And yeah. like, that's not what we're saying to do. Yeah. And they're like, why are you doing that? That's not what we're saying. Uh, of course, he didn't speak English. So yeah. there's a pretty key key fact. And, uh, you know, the fact that the, and the thing, too, is, is he had a winter coat on, which kind of alarmed me. I'm like, why is yeah. he a jacket on? That's weird. Yeah. It's, I'm sweating. <laughs> it's hot. You know, so I, like I said, if I was perceived a, a gun coming out, then yep. uh, I would have had to do what I had to do to keep everybody safe. Hypothetically speaking, w- let's say worst case scenario happened and he did have a weapon and you did have to fire on him. What, h- how do you think you would have responded to something like that? Like initially or like later in life? Yes. <laughs> well, initially... Uh, if, if he, let's just play it out. So he reaches back, we're telling him, put his hands up. We have our guns drawn Yeah. and he just, and and let me just say this. If my, if my partner didn't pull his gun out, I, I don't know if I would have. And I think sure. he did because he opened the door up to a black dark room and this dude's just standing there on the other side and he was startled. He jumped yeah. back and drew on him because he yeah. was like, what are you doing? To protect himself. Yep. And if he would have say, let's say, uh, pretend he's, he pulled a gun out. The second he would have pulled that gun out and he started to raise it, I would have fired. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times until the threat. Until the threat was. Until the threat yeah. was down, you know. And, and by the way, I recently took a class, and that's what that's what you're taught just yeah. as a civilian is you, you aim center mass, and you shoot until the target is not a threat anymore. Right, exactly. It could be one, it and could be you know, six, but. I want to touch on something because yeah. you know how many times that I've been asked, well, why don't cops just shoot him in the leg? That's a stupid. Why don't you shoot him in the argument. arm or hand? Because you can, st- if you have a gun and you get shot in the leg, you can still shoot the gun, dumb right. dumb. Well, put it this way, <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna pull your gun out or shoot someone unless you feel like your life's at risk or somebody else's life is Correct. at risk. Yep. So I mean, that's, it's, it's, you're not, you're not trying to wound someone. That's why you have the other options, the less than lethal. You have a taser. You have a baton. You have. Yep mace pepper spray you have your hands you have your you know your tactical you know combatics yep so mm-hmm. i don't know if that's a word but i may have made it up combatics i like it and i like it too Close urban dic- urban dictionary that shit <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know training hand-to-hand combat so the best option verbal judo but this guy didn't speak english and i didn't speak his language which yeah. you know the, the guy the guy was uh possibly high on drugs but he definitely was not all there he had some sure. sort of mental illness so yep. He didn't know what was going. He had no, he was actually there trying to wash his clothes. He was homeless. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. why he was in there. So here's something. Just you know, had I had I just shot because I saw him reach back. Well, that would have been a bad thing, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, for sure. Thankfully, I was trained well and I was posed and calm. What were some What are some things that working in dispatch and on the force that really opened your eyes to, you know? some things that you don't hear about in the news. Like what are like, because my, my mom worked in dispatch for 10 years. So we got to hear some, some things that actually went on in the community. And it, and it's not necessarily to like make you like live in fear. Like you shouldn't live in fear, but you definitely are more aware of what's going on right. when you, what were some things that like, open like kind of open your eyes and you're like oh this shit's really going on yeah i mean just like how much of everything that is going on how much crime's really happening yeah it's like uh the media just wants to cover a mistake or something bad but they're not 
really showing the the good stuff for sure or even half of the bad to be yeah. honest with you you, don't, you just don't hear about it it's like no way grand rapids had that many shootings last night or this many uh houses shot at and yeah yeah there's had a lot of that going on they only want the one that's gonna really be uh something big and you know unfortunately the way the media works as everybody knows if they're really understanding what's happening is is if someone screws up they they're really uh they're gonna show that and they're gonna it's gonna be a big news because it's something where someone made a mistake and they're gonna get more views out of that than the guy that's an officer stopping to help some old man shovel his driveway you know yeah, no one wants sure. to see that no it doesn't know? that doesn't that's not that's not gonna no. yeah yeah in this and I, it pains me to say this but my somebody who i'm close with was telling me that they had a conversation with a friend of theirs who happened to be black and this person was telling me that you know it's just it's so sad that you know this this person has to have feel the need to have a conversation with their kid about how to act around police and i was like okay first of all i i am as white as you can possibly get and i come from one of the whitest communities that you can possibly come from and my parents had that conversation with me as a young kid young adult on if you're ever in a situation with police this is how you this is how you act this is how you respect authority here's how this that and the other do you think that a lot of the problems that cops are having with uh i'm not even going to say black or minorities but just young people in general right now um how much of that is a is a falls on the shoulders of american parents do you think yeah i would say you know maybe 50 60 percent i i had been on calls where these parents would tell their like seven-year-old you better be good like while i'm there on a totally different issue yeah i'm there on like a domestic between her and the baby daddy yeah and she's telling this kid that's acting out of control you see what's going to happen if you don't act good, if you don't be a good kid, then this guy's, they're going to arrest you. Yeah. And I straight up would confront her and be like, no, we're not, we're not going to. Yeah. You know, that's such a terrible be thing a parent. to say it's to It's horrible because yeah. then, they're, then they're scared of you. Yeah. And that's just not how you should be. I have a really funny story. When Claire was probably three, I want to say two or three years old, very young, like barely, like just starting to like speak in full sentences and comprehend things. Um, we had, um, because, it, and it's such an easy thing to do because you, you when you, you you'll become a parent someday and you'll realize that sometimes the only resort is threatening your kids. Yeah, right, <laughs> there's right. like nothing else you could do sometimes. And uh, and there's this one because I like to drive fast. And um, don't we all? Yeah. And if you're and if you're a Grand Rapids police officer listening to this, I like to drive fast exactly the speed limit. But I like to drive fast, nonetheless. Real quick. I like to accelerate to the speed limit and drive only the speed, maybe five miles per hour over. I, I did that in front of a cop the other day. I like turned Ooh, a corner. I was like, you Joseph. know, I'm just going to speed up real quick. And Let's then I looked down right, and I'm like, oh, I am going the speed limit. <laughs> just a quick acceleration. No big deal. Nothing to see here, uh, officer. Nothing to see here. <laughs> so Ken, Kentwood recently got an upgrade on all their radar. So like they've got front, back, everything. On oh, really? So like, yeah. interesting. It's yeah, so they, they have back radars on. now. Yeah. Ooh, that's dangerous because every time I see like a cop parked in the median, if he's facing the other way, I'm just like, oh, I'm good. I'll just blow by this guy. He can't, his radar's pointing the wrong way. Right. But this is good to know. Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. Ooh. 
I got to be careful now. Anyway, so Chloe always gets on me about uh, my driving habits, and she's like, you're going to get pulled over. 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 Like, it, like, just all the time. So, like, we had to explain to Claire at some point, like, if I get pulled over, like, it's it's not the end of the world. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to jail, and nothing bad's going to happen. I might have to pay the government some money, um, but other than that, it, it's going to be okay. Like, it's not the end of the world. And <laughs> so, there's this one time where you just have in-depth conversations with your kids in the car sometimes. We're coming home from somewhere. We had this whole conversation about police and government and what they do and all this stuff. So I'm super proud dad. We get home. I was like, I'm going to show Chloe what I taught our daughter today because I'm a good dad. And so I was like, Chloe, uh, Claire, what do the police do? And she's like, they're very nice and they keep us safe. And I was like, answer. yeah, yeah. And then I was like, what does the government do? <laughs> Like take, take our money. take our money, <laughs> like what? and we had this whole conversation. Like, well, what else do they do? And she was like, nothing. <laughs> Just walked away. It's <laughs> like God, I love this kid. Yeah. <laughs> no paternity test needed. That is my child. That's excellent. So, uh, I guess something that I would ask of you. So I after all the this the riots and everything went on, I had a discussion with one of my coworkers who is from inner city Chicago, really bad neighborhood. He's he's one of the success stories, got out of the hood, got his engineering degree, is doing well for his family. And I asked his opinion, like what like where are you at with all this stuff? Like what do you what do you see as a solution for this? And uh, he he was saying, you know, it would be super helpful for people that don't necessarily have a good parental figure or sp- specifically a father figure a lot of times to have the police or someone explain how do you actually, how are you actually supposed to interact with the police officer? So if you could like take a minute and, and kind of give your perspective of as someone who is a police officer, what is a comfortable interaction with someone in, in a case, whether it's a traffic stop, whether it's just on the street, someone like, I think worst case scenario for me, like one of the things that I wouldn't necessarily expect is if I'm on the street and I happen to match the description of someone that is, it has a warrant out for their arrest. If you come up to me on the street, what should I be aware of in an interaction with police? Outstanding question, by the way, Joseph. That's good. I mean, uh, you just simply be cooperative, you know, just mm-hmm. answer their questions, you know, don't try not to be, uh, trying to be confrontational. Mm-hmm. Just, just be friendly. I mean, we're, we're just people. You know, if you just talk to each other and treat each other the same way, then uh, everything should be fine. I mean, there was so many times that when I worked as a police officer that I would get people thanking me. They'd be like, mm-hmm. hey, man, thanks. And I'm driving them to jail. And I'd be like, for what? They're like, for just being a cool dude, treating me good. And I was like, wow, okay. Well, I really appreciate that. And they're like, you're going to be a great cop because I just treated them with respect because they weren't, they weren't being an asshole and they weren't trying to fight with me. Mm-hmm. They were like, Hey man, I don't have a license. I might have a warrant. Like, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, they, we work together as a suspect cop. We worked together and we found a solution. Okay. And I treated them as good as I could. I would, you know, just, do you, do you need me to crack your window? Like whatever it is, I, whatever I could possibly do to make their, their uh interaction with me the best they could the best it could be mm-hmm. i would do that you know uh if we could work something out where i didn't even have to arrest them then then that's what we're gonna do 
Yeah. You know, if I have to rest you, it's just going to be more work for me and I have to do more paperwork. So yeah. let's not, <laughs> let's not go that route. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was, the, I thought it'd be so awesome to rest someone, but really it's just more work. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. That's what you gotta do. So, I mean, if you're out there and you get pulled over, you have interaction with the police, just, it's intimidating. I, I won't lie. I still get intimidated. There's a cop behind me. I'm like, uh-oh. Like, I, still get, I still get nervous. Uh, <laughs> and so, because uh, I don't want to be pulled over. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, just listen, answer their questions. and But, you know, you you don't have to do anything, I suppose, whatever. However you want to act is how you're going to act. But I think the the easiest way is just to be cooperative answer their questions, be polite, be respectful, just mm-hmm. like you would with any of your friends or someone that you truly care about. And I think it'll go pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So let me ask you this. Um, take us back to late May of this year and a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. All the George Floyd protests yeah. were going on, allegedly. Turns out not a lot to do with that, actually. Um, but what... Um, what So... There are lots of there are riots in downtown Grand Rapids, like right next to the police post. Yeah. Uh, National Guard got called in. Like, what the hell was that like from your perspective? Yeah, it was unexpected. Yeah. Uh, went into work. I had to work at 16, uh, and I knew I was going to have to work at 16 for like a week uh, coming into that shift. And I actually, you know, I park nearby. Uh, and yeah. so I park out on the street. And I... Didn't think anything of it. We knew there was going to be a protest, a peaceful fr- protest at Rosa Parks, and uh, I didn't think much of it. And I worked the day, and and then all of a sudden we have 200 people outside of the police department trying to kick the doors in. And, well, at first it was peaceful, but yeah. then it started getting kind of wild. Would, would you say that it's possible that that peaceful p- protest got hijacked with by some people with nefarious intentions yeah of course yeah. i mean people were there to be heard and protest you know just like that you know just like your constitutional right free speech but and to protest but um yeah i mean it only takes a couple people they get all excited and who knows what kind of drugs they might have been on or if they were drinking or you know whatnot but uh i think there's a lot of things that were going on but yeah it got nasty real quick yeah yeah and uh it was quite unexpected you know at first once once that initial night hit uh had they had the resources uh, that we had days after, then things would have been different. There wouldn't have been so much damage happening. Yeah. But uh, they took advantage of the lack of police, and they were looting and breaking everything they could, setting yeah. buildings on fire. And unfortunately, we couldn't get into those areas quick enough to yeah. stop it. So they just took over. And I don't think you know those people were there to try to be a part of anything positive with the peaceful protests, you know? But they... You're talking about the rioters. Yeah, the rioters. People, people were actually, yeah. you know, committing crimes. They, it was uh, an opportunity for them to, you know, do something. And I think a lot of people too might have done stuff they would have never done, but it was like exciting. They were a part of something. You know, I hear like Joe Rogan talk about some of this stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because yep. I'm like, man, he's got it. Like that's, yeah. I'm like, you're, you're spot mob, on. Mob mentality. Kind yeah, of. I mean, yeah. they they probably were out of jo- they were probably out of a job for yep. a while because of the coronavirus and yep. they they had a job but then uh the you know the government kind of stopped that so then they're unemployed they haven't got their unemployment check and yeah. all of a sudden now uh this dude's kicking in this window and all this stuff's available like yeah, yeah let's grab some not stuff. only but wearing a face covering is socially acceptable these right. days so can you, you can go out are? and you know at, autonomously you know right. cause you know kick kick the doors in right. and i think i think a lot of things uh 
with that is just people want to be a part of something. And sometimes what you're a part of isn't really a good thing. Yeah. And they felt like they were having the best time of their lives probably while it was happening. Yeah. yeah. I, I assume there's probably a lot of pent up frustration too, because if you yeah. are correct and, and those people did fall into hard times economically mm-hmm. because of these ridiculous shutdown measures that right. were imposed. Yeah. And who, who knows what, when you're breaking a window, like you could be mad at your, your ex-girlfriend, you know, yeah, it feels good. Sure. It does. And so all of a sudden you got all these people, I guarantee all those people weren't, uh, they weren't on the same wavelength with their, what, what their, they were thinking, what they were really doing and yeah. why they were doing it. Everybody has different reasons. They could have been mad at the president. Yeah. They could have met, been mad at the last cop they had an interaction with yeah. or, you know, their parents, whatever. Yeah. So and it was, uh, it was a really sad thing to see, man. Yeah. It was crazy. I worked a 21 hour shift that day. Yeah. Straight. And, uh, yeah, I left pretty upset. I was pissed. Yeah. I, I believe was, it. Was your car okay? Like, I, yeah. Been, so the car, the car the actually, it's funny cause it's like, uh, it's, it's a black car and it kind of blends in at night. Mm-hmm. It's got tinted windows. Oh, nice. So it was like, I, I, I joked actually recently. I was like, yeah, I turned the, uh, the cloak on. <laughs> <laughs> and they, like, as I walk the out, mode. I walk out and I'm expecting, you know, the car burned to the ground. Yeah. I was bummed out. And I get out there and it looks perfect. And there's huh. glass and shit oh, all man. over the round it. Like it looked like everything around my car was, was fucked. Yeah. But my car looked great. And I was yeah. like, no way. And then I get over there and it's dented up. But actually that happened during the peaceful protest. Yeah. People mm-hmm. wanted to get a better view on what was truly happening right in front of the, you know, oh, right in front. So yeah. they were standing on my roof and oh, gotcha. on the hood. And so, so it was just ca- all like caved in and dented. Yeah. And no one even keyed it. They yeah. didn't pop the tires. They didn't target, you know, yeah. there was a lot of random cars that just got, smashed up just because it was there and yeah. like, hey let's hmm. smash this car and burn it mm-hmm. yeah it was uh it was an interesting night man i was scared for a lot of those guys yeah. you know and actually I had a crazy i had a crazy feeling that night too because uh i left and i got escorted to my car by some officers and then uh i'm leaving so i'm, I'm pulling up i'm pulling on my pulling out of my spot and i'm leaving and uh this officer that i know comes up and he he starts yelling what are you doing because he didn't know it was me and i'm driving like I'm behind their barricade. Like I got, I was on the inside. Uh, He's like, what are you, what are you doing? What the heck? And then I rolled my window. I was like, Hey, it's, it's me. And they're like, Oh, and then he looks over at everybody like figuring, like wondering who this car is. They're like, Hey, it's one of us. And uh, our guys. Yeah. It's one of our guys. And so then, uh, he starts laughing and he's like, yeah. And then, so they, they all move, move barricades so I can go home. And they're all like joking acting you know they're just normal people they're 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 really just tired they want to go home and relax and uh this spirits that when i drove by like everybody was just kind of joking around and and having a good time and it it was really are are you talking about like national guard guys no this was grpd okay as i was leaving this was like uh like four or five in the morning okay and uh and then they the one joked he's like burn out i bet you won't do it (laughs) just kidding kidding. i would have done it but my car probably wouldn't even burn out yeah i don't want to embarrass myself yeah so it was just like that, that moment I left. I'm like, man, like these guys, like are good group when, guys. When you, when, when the thing, it's funny because like when you're uh, when you're looking at all this stuff, you know, happening where they're they're the, all the cops are with all their gear on, they're standing there all intimidating and acting like they're just like a, a robo cop. Yeah, right? they're just sure. they're just standing like a there, stormtrooper. Right. Yeah, they're not even a, there's no soul inside. It's not a yeah. human that you know shits pisses and sleeps. I feel like yeah, I feel and like then, people miss that. Yeah, a lot. and then I'm leaving and these guys are just joking around and 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 uh, still in good spirits. And I'm like, man, that's just crazy. And uh, they're all like, hey, see you, Fonte. And uh, I just remember leaving. I'm just like, man. Like if only everybody could see that side of it, man. Too bad everybody couldn't just understand that all these people are literally just the same as them. Yeah. They just chose a different route, but they see the, 
the gun on the belt and the helmet and why why the hell do you have a riot shield and like all this stuff well because you're, you're getting bricks thrown at you and mm-hmm. it's just to protect them that's yeah. all it is it's not trying to intimidate you at all it's just gear yeah you know so it, it was interesting man that night was uh definitely changed some things it was sad because it put a lot of people out of business let me ask you this because i have some i have some family members that feel extreme very strongly about this and I wanted to get your perspective on it. I'm, I'm pretty, I, I, I can see both sides on this. And, and so I've interviewed and talked to a lot of different people about this. Um, and I think that I'll ask you the question and then I'll kind of give my take on it. What do you feel, how do you feel that professional athletes kneeling for the national anthem? It's a hot topic. Yeah. It's very controversial. Yeah. As, as somebody who has served on the police force, now working very closely with the police force, do you do you personally take offense to that? Do you think they should be doing that? Do you think they should not be doing it? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I guess I uh, would love to ask one of them, hey, why are you doing that? Yeah. What does it mean for you? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to what are you trying to solve or what's the reason? What's your what's your purpose? Yeah. And I, I bet you wouldn't you would get a lot of those people going, I don't fucking know. Yeah. I don't know. We're just doing it. Why? Like uh I guess i I'm not I don't I don't I don't understand. Uh I think it's pretty disrespectful for all of the military people that died serving your country so that you have the freedom to even kneel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, uh, you should stand up, put your hand on your heart and show respect for sure. That flag, you know, the re- the national anthem that was, it's representing way more than, than what, what, whatever they're trying to, to get across. So I think it looks bad. I think it looks unprofessional mm-hmm. and I'm shocked that, it, you know, that there, some of those guys are even doing it. Right. I get it. You can do whatever the hell you want, but it's just, I think it's ridiculous. Right. And yeah. one of the things, too, that, like, people people come back to the first, that is the First Amendment, First Amendment. The First Amendment guarantee, guarantees you two things. Joe, pull up the First Amendment real quick just so we can read this verbatim. Let's do it. But it, I'm, and I'm going off the top of my head. I don't know it by heart. But it guarantees two things. Number one, the government cannot prosecute you for speaking out against the government. Number two, it guarantees the right to look. Can you re- read it for me, Joe? Yeah. So the the First Amendment uh, revised, last revised in 1992, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's it? The whole yep, thing? Okay. the whole thing. So I didn't... So, Freedom of speech is real, but it's so that the government cannot regulate your freedom of speech. It, it's it's freedom of spe- speech. It's not freedom of consequence for your speech, if that makes sense. Right. So, you, you know, you can demonstrate all you want, but you can't also say, well, I'm getting all this backlash now. I feel sad about it and all that yeah. stuff. So my, my take on the whole thing is that I think that if you're kneeling the the, re, the like you said i'd like to ask those guys why yeah i think the reason behind it is so important because i think that if the reason was is that i i i love america and i appreciate it so instead of turning my back on it or doing something obscene i'm going to kneel versus stand um, because I think that while America is a great country, we still have a long ways to go to make it what it needs to be. That is an argument that I, 
I might not necessarily agree with that argument, but I can understand that argument. But when Colin Kaepernick originally took a knee back in 2015, he was not the he was that was not the message that he was coming across. Right. With. He was coming across with America is bad, um, police are pigs, and and, and and again, I don't remember off the top of my head his exact quotes. Maybe Joe can pull a couple of Colin Kaepernick's quotes about police and America from back in 2015 and 16. But that was not the message. And I think right. that maybe that message has changed from yeah. other people that are doing it. Um, I, I, again, I have a, t- I have a, t- I'm, I don't like it. I am trying to, I try to be understanding of it. Um, but I also have some family members of mine who are just completely, um, you know, if you're going to, if you are going to kneel for the national anthem in your sport, I am going to boycott your sport. Yeah. I, when I saw something recently on Facebook, I, I saw, uh, a bunch of people doing it and I'm just like, because that's what I, what I think of. I think of when he did that, uh, Kaepernick of what that represented and yep. uh, I don't think it was a great representation of of what everybody should be doing it, you know that's what I associate it with yeah so yeah I mean if I was able to walk up and be like hey why are you guys kneeling I, I would get probably a different answer from each person exactly yep and, and I don't think anybody would even know why the fuck they were doing it yeah. <laughs> and I think it looks bad yeah pretty unprofessional it makes me not want to watch this NFL sport anymore yeah. I'm like wow. for sure but that yeah I I have because because I I just immediately associate it with I don't give a shit what how great it represents, dude. Like think about all the wars that have been fought and Americans have lost their lives to to have the freedoms that we have so that you can kneel and that's how you're gonna show the respect for them. I don't know. I don't think it's the right place or time to try to show that. Yeah. You know, I think that you should honor those that served and had lost their life so that you that you can play that sport and have fun. Why do you think they sing the national anthem before games? It's a good question. I'll answer that question while you think. I think that the national anthem is played before games because it's a recognition of two teams that are about to go out and try to destroy the other team. You know, I mean, you get into high school sports, you know, they, they get kind of intense. But like professional sports, I mean, these guys are paid millions of dollars to beat the shit out of other people oh, on yeah. the other side of the coin. And I think that the national anthem is an incredible showing of unity um before a a contest if you will that's you know a sport is a contest and by by that is that we may have our differences on the field but off the field as american citizens we we stand for the same things the same principles the same values american values and i feel like there's a culture movement going on today that is trying to devalue that what do you think about that I think so too. Uh, that was a lot better than what I would have came up with. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I thought know? a lot about this. Yeah, that's. I've never really thought much about why they do that. Uh, I, you know, though the sports, a lot of those sports are American sports. You know, like football, mm-hmm. baseball, basketball. Like you know, I, I don't know where they originated from, but those are the pretty popular American sports, and they. Uh, that's just to show the, the you know they start that off it's like hey this is this is why you're even able to do this is because mm-hmm. you have the freedom to be able to compete on a high level uh professionally and entertain all these american citizens and they're all going to have a great time so uh just to kind of get back to what you asked me for before i've got an article from the nfl uh on colin kaepernick this is back 
in August. So it was published on August 27th of 2016. And the, the quote from Colin Kaepernick was, and I, and I believe this is before he started kneeling and when he would just sit during the anthem. Colin Kaepernick said for the article, quote, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder, end quote. Interesting. So go back to that. What was that line where he said that uh, something about black people and oppression? What was that line? Read that line again. Uh, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people a country, and people of color. A country that oppresses black people. I... I see that there may have there there are obviously systemic problems of things that have happened in the past. There are Jim Crow laws that happened. Uh, there and let me let me say that again. There are democratic Jim Crow laws that have happened in the past. There there was slavery that happened um, uh, 150 years ago is about the time frame where it ended um, under mostly democrat controlled states i like to make sure i specifically say that (laughs) um but i think that that narrative needs to be challenged i think that there there are definitely problems that are facing the black community today i don't think that cops are gunning for black people i don't think that um that um black people are oppressed in this country by any means um, and that's my perspective mm-hmm. on what I've seen. Now, I will not pretend to know what it's like to be a black person because no matter how many, like one thing that's being promoted very heavily these days is having like these conversations and discussions with people that don't have your same background. And I think that is incredibly productive. But no matter how many of those conversations we have, I will not know what it's like to be a black person in America. Right. I... For me personally, I like to see people as Americans. Like if you live in America and you were born in this country, you're an American citizen. And that's how I like to see you. Now, we are all very different people. I am very different from a lot of white people. I am actually mm-hmm. different from, I would say, most white people for whatever one reason or another. Uh, God created us all different because if we are all the same, we'd live in North Korea and it, it, there's a lot of equality in North Korea, by the way. Mm. There's a lot of equality in Cuba, and it sucks. I'm not saying that we're not all created equal because we are. We're everyone wants to say we're all created equal, but they don't want to finish the sentence. We're all created equal in, in God's image. Mm-hmm. And I'm not better than you, Travis. I'm not better than you, Joe. I'm not a better person than you, just because of how I was born or how I was made. We are all created equal. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How you live your life is what differentiates Correct. It. Yeah. God gave us free will. Mm-hmm. And, and when, and I don't want to get too biblical here, but when this world fell back in the days of Adam and Eve, sin descended upon the world and we were all born sinful creatures. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't. So we all have issues that we have to work through. If you say that you're perfect and you've never sinned, you're a damn liar because I know that you have. And I know that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that's an incredibly different message than you're just you're oppressed because of the color of your skin. That to me, that statement right there is that that statement in and of itself is racist, in my opinion. I would agree. I, I think that it's terrible to teach people that in a country that is the freest country in the history of the world the most diverse country in the history of the world Mm -hmm. that you are oppressed because of the color of your skin. And I think, so this, I don't remember who, who broke it down this way, but something that really made sense to me when it, uh, when I heard it was, um, there are a lot of things in this country that come from the previous issues that we've had. All of, all of the Jim Crow laws that you said, there are, there are remnants of that, that are still within our society that still affect the world today but that doesn't mean that there is an inherent oppression happening especially when a lot of people and a lot of people that aren't people of color are fighting for the rights of everyone yeah. everywhere to be equal and there's yeah the actually the opposite of oppression yeah yeah <clears throat> i think that you get to an age and uh you just start to realize that you it's up to you whether you're going to make it in this world or not and whether mm-hmm. you, yeah. you get to choose you have a choice to make of how successful you want to be and the opportunities that you want to fulfill and try to go after mm-hmm. uh of course you know we all come from different backgrounds and some of us don't get to pick who our parents are and we don't get to choose uh you know some people don't have a good upbringing and that does affect yep. you it does a hundred percent it does. really does yep. and that's i think a huge problem i think that's the biggest problem really mm-hmm. is just where you come from how you were raised because i mean if i didn't have the parents i had and i had no dad and my mom didn't give a shit then i probably would be in prison right now who knows mm-hmm. yeah who knows but uh like when i when i was working the street there's one particular event that i remember where I went on this call where there was a uh, a girl at a foster care facility and then they realized that she was a missing juvenile runaway out of Muskegon. She was 16 and I responded to the call to take her to a caseworker so that she could get back up to Muskegon County and they could figure out where to take, put her. Uh, so I remember talking to her and she was, uh, she wasn't making suicide threats, but she did state that, you know, she has felt suicidal before. And uh, I have had a brother commit suicide years ago. And so I'm like, you know, I, I was like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to pour everything I can into this girl while I'm driving mm-hmm. her up to the uh, social worker place. And I was just telling her, I'm like, listen, you're 16. You're a young girl. You literally are about to be an adult in a couple of years. And you can choose because she was all worried about saying like she didn't have. She said, like, I don't even know my parents. I have no parents, no mom or dad. I've wow. never met them. Yeah, And so she's been going foster care place to foster care place. And I'm like, listen, like you are so close to being an adult where you don't have to worry about any of this and you're going to get to choose whatever you want. And I was like, what do you like to do? And she's like, well, I like to sing. And I was like, let me hear you sing. I didn't think she would. And dude, this girl sang in the backseat of this car wow. with no music on. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. I remember like I wrote down the time and day cause I was like, I gotta listen back to that. Cause uh-huh. that was, that was remarkable. She had like an amazing voice. And I'm like, there you go. I was like, then do that. Like whatever you love, just do that. And your, your opera, I don't, I was like, you know, you might not have had parents, but I was like, once you become an adult, you're right there. You're almost, you're almost there. You can just do whatever you want. You can go anywhere. You can work anywhere. The world's yours. 
Yeah. And I think people forget that. They, they're too focused on where they came from and what they didn't have. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's get past that. Because, you know, I know people that uh, were from refugee camps from Africa and they came here and they're killing it. They don't mm -hmm. care. They, they remember. And that's what drives them, where they came from or what they didn't have, how hard it was. But, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that go into that. You know, not everybody's on the same cognitive level. Some of us have challenges and that's why we have some mental health uh, resources that, of course, need to continue to improve and get better because they're not, they're not where they should be. And, uh, but... At the end of the day, I think our opportunities are pretty equal and it's a matter of uh, choice and hard work. You just have to choose to go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And no one, no one can change where you started. Like, no. As much as we would love to say, oh, everyone starts on an equal plane, like that's just the reality of the world is that it's not that It'll way. It will never be that way. But what you can do is you can work for what you want and you can move as far forward as you are physically able to and, and choose to do that because sitting and complaining about where you started is never going to move you anywhere towards where you want to go right if you're still listening i want to thank you for tuning into this episode and if you're still with us you're one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet again uh we i i any contributions that you make to our work is greatly appreciated via our patreon account um, but the most important thing you can do is like, share, and subscribe on all social platforms at Rakowski Pod. And we really look forward to you turning, tuning into the next episode and have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.